How do you take your true crime? Do you like to sit back and sip on a cold drink while someone tells you a story in a soothing voice? There's no better way to explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. My podcast, Southern Fried True Crime, is like sitting on a front porch listening to a friend tell you a story with a slow pull of a slide guitar drawing you in closer. I'm Erica Kelly, and every Friday, I spin a new Southern tale, giving you the history of the town, the background of the community and victims, as well as the details of a uniquely Southern crime. Explore historic cases with me, like the saga of Cullen and Priscilla Davis in Fort Worth, Texas. It's the perfect example of money and power trumping justice in the South. Or contemporary cases like the death of Andrew Lewis, a young man shot in the back of the head. The shooter claimed self-defense, and Montgomery, Alabama officials refused to charge him or conduct a proper investigation. I am also passionate about wrongful convictions, domestic violence, and rape culture. Southern Fried True Crime pulls no punches, breaking down the good old boy system. I shoot straight about how racism, elitism, and political connections affect justice in the South. Southern charm is attempted, but I can promise you some Southern sass. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and many other podcast apps. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care. The Gone Cold Podcast may contain violent or graphic subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. New Braunfels, Texas was established in the middle of the 19th century as a colony for German immigrants. Named after Salms Braunfels, the German homeland of the colony's founder, an Austrian prince and military officer, New Braunfels is just northeast of San Antonio and was once able to boast its place as Texas's fourth largest city in 1850, even if that distinction was short-lived. Located on the southeastern edge of Comal County, of which it is the seat, New Braunfels creeps into Guadalupe County some. The city of 90,000-plus has long been something of a tourist attraction, not only for Worstfest, a German sausage festival, but also for Schlitterbahn, a large water park and resort that is the city's second-highest employer behind the Comal County School District. The Guadalupe and Comal Rivers draw visitors to the area seeking to escape the relentless and scorching Texas sun by floating the cool waters by inner tube. The rivers are what brought industry, agriculture, and logistics to the area, helping it thrive in the early days of its establishment. Today, the quintessential Texas town serves as a sort of suburban outlier of San Antonio, though New Braunfels is a city in its own right, with its own rich history and historical significance. Since, in modern times, San Antonio is among the United States' ten largest cities, however, it was almost inevitable that New Braunfels would become fodder for the big city's expansion. New Braunfels, beyond the eccentric mixture of the city's idyllic American mid-20th century charm and its sporadic reminders of German roots, like every place, has a history 
a darkness they'd likely rather forget. The 2019 death of an eight-month-old infant, King J. Davila, in neighboring San Antonio, brought an eight-year-old unresolved mystery back to the forefront of the minds of New Brunfels residents. King went missing on the evening of January 4th of that year, his mother's boyfriend claiming the infant was inside a car that he said had been stolen from a convenience store. The boy was found wrapped in a blanket and buried inside a backpack in a field a week later. The stolen car, it was found out, was a cover-up. King's mother's boyfriend had beaten him to death and staged it. Needless to say, the entire state of Texas watched the mystery unfold. The residents of San Antonio and the surrounding areas particularly shocked and hurt at the outcome. In nearby New Brunfels, the 2011 disappearance of 18-month-old Joshua Davis was, again, back in the city's conscience. Although the primary focus of the investigation is that this child was able to somehow exit the residence and wander off, uh, we're still looking at all of our different options and possible scenarios as to what may have occurred that night. Joshua Javon Davis Jr. was born on August 16, 2009, to parents Sabrina Benitez and Joshua Davis Sr. The family called him Jr., but he was also known by Fat Boy, an affectionate nickname given to him for his stocky build and chubby cheeks. Joshua was mesmerized by the movie Toy Story 3 and liked taking baths about as much as anything else. The boy, whose smile was beaming, was adored by his grandfather, who considered Joshua the sweetest child you could ever know. His huge brown eyes likely charming anyone in sight. Joshua, of course, spent most of his time playing with toys, but his favorite thing to do was hang out with his dad, Joshua Sr., When Joshua was 18 months old, his mother Sabrina was expecting another child and due to give birth within a couple weeks. The family, Sabrina, Joshua Jr. and Sr., older brother, and Jr.'s grandfather, all lived in a mobile home community in South Comal County in New Braunfels. Joshua Jr. was growing up fast at 18 months. Dad said his son was getting around good and always on the move. Like those little diapers they got, little movers, Joshua Sr. commented. He's a little mover. The evening of Friday, February 4, 2011, was unusually cold. Most of the Texas Hill Country had experienced what that area considers a bitter cold snap, with temperatures that entire day falling below 20 degrees Fahrenheit. 
In New Braunfels, ice coated the earth and roads, and on top of that, a light blanket of snow, both abnormal occurrences there. Little Joshua was kept inside all day because of the weather, since the cold caused his asthma to act up, a condition that landed the child in the hospital a few times in his life, already at only 18 months old. That evening, Joshua Jr.'s grandfather and parents were hosting a screening of a basketball game on their television, and four friends came over to watch. There were nine people total in the home that night, including little Joshua and his older brother. According to Joshua's mother, Sabrina, she and her son were in the back bedroom watching Toy Story, while the others watched the game. Joshua Jr., having recently gained mobility, was on the move and had left the room, walking out toward the front of the home. Sabrina expected her son to come back, grab a toy, and watch along with her and her other boy, as little Joshua usually did, but at some point, she looked around and didn't see him. She got up and looked all over for him. When Sabrina entered Joshua's grandfather's bedroom, where he was resting his arthritic knees, she asked if he'd seen the boy. He hadn't, but he assured her that Joshua Jr. had to be around there someplace, and got up to help her look. After searching the entire house top to bottom, however, there was no sign of 18-month-old Joshua. And because Sabrina was shaking too badly to hold the phone, the little boy's grandfather called 911. With the current state of the world, i.e. social distancing from friends and family, Connecting and having fun with folks can be challenging. A way to connect, casually and while adhering to social distancing suggestions, is out there in the form of the challenging and visually stunning game Best Fiends. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends, and it's free to download on the Apple App Store or Google Play. I've got a few folks who I compete with, friendly-like, of course, and I'm thrilled to say I'm currently in a slight lead above them at level 1766, and it has nothing to do with the fact that they started the game after I did. I send them little gifts and energy when they need it, and they return the favor. I've also been delving into the special missions, too, and I'm particularly digging Lug's Loot Balloon. Those levels are pure eye candy, super cartoonish, and extra colorful. Best Fiends is totally casual, and that's good for me. I'm overwhelmingly busy, so I play the game when I need a break from writing, recording, or editing, or when a break is even more needed, at the dreaded day job. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play Best Fiends offline. Since you don't need internet to play, finding a Wi-Fi hotspot or using your cell phone's data plan isn't an issue, which is one of my favorite things about the game. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters, all cute and some just downright cool, added every month. With over 100 million downloads and tons of 5-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends.
After Joshua Davis Jr. vanished from his family's home on an icy, snowy, and bitterly cold February evening in 2011, the boy's grandfather called 911 to report his disappearance. Police arrived not long after, and Joshua Jr.'s information was taken down. He stood two feet tall and weighed 30 pounds. A black male with black hair, brown eyes, and a quarter-sized dark brown birthmark above his left knee. He was last seen between 8 and 8.20 p.m. on February 4, 2011, wearing a red and blue plaid button-up shirt on top of a gray Rokaware brand shirt, both long-sleeved. Little Josh was wearing a diaper, of course, as well as a Rokaware blue jeans, a beige and white onesie, also Rokaware brand, with black and white socks, no shoes. Little Joshua, of course, was considered endangered missing automatically because of his age. The police, however, didn't issue an Amber Alert because there was really no evidence that an abduction had occurred, they said, and the Amber Alert system's required criteria was not met in Joshua Davis Jr.'s case. At first, several factors led law enforcement to think that little Joshua had wandered away. He was an extremely mobile kid, and a door of the Davis home police discovered didn't latch properly. Since the temperature was frigid, around 19 degrees Fahrenheit, police knew that if it were the case that Joshua Jr. had simply wandered off, they needed to find him quick, or the worst was inevitable. Authorities launched an immediate search response searching neighborhood homes and properties throughout. A Texas Department of Public Safety helicopter was all but immediately employed in the search efforts, and approximately 2,400 homes in the surrounding areas were notified via the New Braunfels Emergency Notification System, which sends alerts to residents' cell phones. Neighbors came out in droves to aid New Braunfels City, Como County, and Guadalupe County officers in the search for little Joshua. Whether due to the weather or some other factor linked to a potential crime, multiple specialized canine tracking units could not pick up Joshua Davis Jr.'s scent. The Federal Bureau of Investigations and the Texas Rangers both combed the fields and thickets around the community where the Davises lived, but found nothing. Since the ground was covered in snow, if little Joshua had been in the area, it was likely he'd have been found. The clothing he wore would have stuck out against the white of the snow, and if the ground had been disturbed, it would have been obvious. Though the frozen ground was hard, and it's unlikely to have been dug into easily. When the search had gone on for 36 hours, the New Brunfels police announced that they were switching tactics. The weather wouldn't allow for a child of 18 months to survive, a lieutenant for the department said. It was no longer considered a search and rescue and had become a recovery. Not even a recovery mission, however, would turn anything up. To make matters more convoluted, Sabrina had to give birth not long after Joshua Jr. disappeared. The challenges she and Joshua Sr. faced only grew when Child Protective Services took the new baby, named it Jaden, when Sabrina tested positive for trace amounts of marijuana. 
Jaden was given to Sabrina's mother, but the couple acted fast and took all the steps to get the baby back quickly. For the upcoming days, then weeks, and then months, Sabrina and Joshua Davis Sr. distributed missing persons flyers all over the area, featuring their little boy's face. For some time, the New Braunfels police continued working Joshua Jr.'s case as if he'd, quote, wandered off by himself, telling the media that they had absolutely no evidence at all that the disappearance involved an abduction. Sabrina, however, disagreed and immediately thought her little boy had been taken by someone at the Davis home watching the basketball game that night. Authorities, however, noted that everyone who'd been at the home that night fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies, which was not necessarily true. Just a few years later, in 2014, New Braunfels Police Lieutenant Mark Pinchorn said that he believed there was more to the story than what investigators were told. He specifically meant Joshua Davis Sr. and Sabrina Benitez, who were both 26 years old at that point. It was no doubt an implication. But little Joshua's mom wasn't shying away from the press and seeking to distance herself from the disappearance of her son. To the contrary, both she and Joshua Sr. were anxiously waiting for news of what the investigation turned up, waiting seemingly endlessly for information as to the fate of Joshua Jr., Sabrina hoped above all else, she told a reporter, that her boy was still alive and being loved. They just wanted answers, she said, and Joshua Davis Sr. commented that he'd grown tired and frustrated with the police. He felt like, Joshua said, the cops weren't prioritizing the case as they should be and were scrutinizing them with more fervor than they would were he and Sabrina White. Joshua Sr. and Sabrina's frustration only mounted in the years to come. In 2016, the police seemed to make an attempt to coerce answers out of Sabrina and Joshua Sr. by calling them out as involved in little Joshua's disappearance publicly. He agreed with New Braunfels police investigators, Joshua Sr. said, in their assessment that little Joshua couldn't have simply walked off a theory police no longer believed, if they ever really did. Both he and Sabrina said loud and clear, however, that they weren't withholding anything at all. But law enforcement came out swinging with their claims to the media, without actually providing any insight into what actual evidence they may or may not have. In a press conference in February of 2016, The New Braunfels police said that although everyone who was in the Davis home the night little Joshua vanished had been cooperative, they simply did not believe the information that had been told. Authorities were asking, publicly, for Sabrina and Joshua Sr. to come forward with the truth and to stop withholding key information. Sabrina broke down as she watched the press conference and cried uncontrollably. She told her mother it was all bullshit. She did nothing wrong, Sabrina said, adding that her son was with her every day. She'd let her guard down one night, she went on, but it was in her own home. Holding up a moderately filled standard binder, 
A New Braunfels police spokesperson said that, quote, This is an average case file for an average case. The man then pointed to a table where several large binders piled on top of one another sat, each thick, almost to the point of overflow with papers. Continuing to point, he said, quote, This is the amount of information that we've put together for the Joshua Davis case. The moment seemed custom-made for dramatic effect, like a scene plucked from a television police procedural or courtroom drama. The evidence they collected, the spokesperson said, shows that Joshua was possibly injured and removed from the home. The uncertainty in that statement, evidence shows that Joshua was possibly injured, is apparent. The evidence should, for all purposes, show something, not possibly show something. The statement almost seems like an admission that the evidence was being collected to support a theory. Detectives who'd worked Little Joshua's case went on to say that the chance the boy is still alive is slim to none, and that their, quote, lengthy investigation led them to rule out an abduction or the possibility that Joshua had left on his own. The latter does seem certain, but police still provided not a hint as to why they believed an abduction was just not possible. The New Braunfels police investigation seems to have come to a self-inflicted stalemate there. The cops claim to have collected a mountain of evidence that showed Joshua Jr. was injured, presumably meaning fatally, and subsequently moved from the home, presumably meaning his body seemed to only be a theory, since they were unable to present it to Sabrina and Joshua Sr. in a way that rendered the confession they sought. When it finally came out, just what they had in those gigantic stuffed binders, the reason why the case was going nowhere became clear. Among the supposed evidence police collected to back up their theory, or rather, the only evidence, came from the statements of those who were at the Davis home watching the game the night little Joshua disappeared. In a February 2016 press conference, police laid out what they had after five long years. The New Braunfels police were, quote, fairly certain that there was an accident inside the house, Lieutenant Stephen Hanna told reporters, and that something happened to the child. The lieutenant went on to say that out of the seven adults present in the home the night Joshua Jr. vanished, quote, one of them or a number of them know what happened and have been misleading investigators. The family has been confronted with the allegations, he said. Everyone had been interviewed multiple times, but someone, meaning family members, police said, knew what happened and were holding back the truth. A New Braunfels police spokesperson asked Joshua Davis Sr., Sabrina Benitez, and little Joshua's grandfather to, quote, search deep within their hearts. Sabrina retorted by saying the family had been nothing but honest with the department and was holding nothing back. Though the New Braunfels police said that the chances Joshua Davis Jr. was still alive aren't good, the child's father, Joshua Davis Sr., told a reporter that he won't give up hope until his boy is found. He said that people have questioned his inability to grasp the possibility that little Joshua is dead. But that wasn't it. 
Joshua Sr. said that it was his intuition. He didn't feel in his heart that his little boy was deceased. When law enforcement's supposed evidence came out, it was lacking anything solid at all. But Sabrina Benitez and Joshua Davis Sr. had been holding back something. There was marijuana use at the home the evening Joshua Jr. went missing. When the news of this came, the press, of course, sought a statement from the family, and Sabrina Benitez obliged. She admitted that some present that evening had smoked some pot. The police insisted that those in attendance the night Joshua disappeared took an unspecified amount of time disposing of the marijuana and presumably the paraphernalia that usually goes along with it. They were suggesting between the lines that getting rid of the pot took some exorbitant amount of time and that the boy hadn't been present in the home for a while before 911 was actually called. Sabrina Benitez denied that, however, and said the only delay in calling authorities occurred because she and little Joshua's grandfather had been searching outside due to the faulty door latch and they didn't want to call police if he'd simply wandered outside. There was no delay in calling 911, she said, though she did admit that pot was disposed of before officers arrived. It's unclear where the police were going with these accusations. Either they genuinely believed that disposing of or hiding some pot took much longer than it actually would have, which seems incredibly odd, or they were simply throwing stuff out there to see what stuck. It was no matter, Sabrina and Joshua Sr. had long lost faith in police and hired a private investigator. The New Braunfels police Sabrina Benitez felt, had completely ignored her suspicions of what she thought might have happened that night. A guest at the Davis Benitez home on the evening little Joshua disappeared, Sabrina said, had raised red flags from the very beginning. The man, we'll call him Andy Morgan here, had left the get-together abruptly and without telling anyone he was leaving, just before Joshua Jr. was discovered missing. When questioned, it was reported, Morgan gave conflicting accounts of the night, and when asked to take a polygraph test, he refused, evoked his right to remain silent, and asked for a lawyer. Formal questioning of the individual never happened. That's not the only suspicious behavior that Morgan was alleged to have displayed that night. Several witnesses, neighbors of Sabrina Benitez and the Davises, saw Morgan speed out of the driveway. The man, who is said to be from a socially and economically privileged family in the area, was presumably in a huge hurry to leave. When reported to police, it is said, the witnesses weren't taken seriously and were turned away. Morgan's record only consists of violations like driving while intoxicated and public intoxication convictions, it should be noted. Adding to Sabrina Benitez's suspicions of the man and the suspicions of her private investigator was an exchange that took place. When Sabrina, Joshua Sr., and Grandpa had all just realized that Joshua Jr. was nowhere to be found, they also noticed that Morgan was gone. They called the man who told them that 18-month-old Joshua had tried to follow him out the back door 
and that he'd pushed him back inside, shut the door, and left. Joshua Davis Sr. and Sabrina Benitez left the home that belongs to little Joshua's grandfather and moved in with Sabrina's mother. The community had been rough on the couple since the boy had vanished. Sabrina felt that her appearance, specifically her tattoos, had led to folks prejudging her and Joshua Sr., determining their guilt from the get-go. Allegations of involvement, of people speculating that he just couldn't handle being a father, frustrated Joshua Sr. Joshua Jr. was a part of him, he said, his little man. The family has continued to hold out hope that Joshua Jr. is still alive, stacking unopened toys in a closet that they and other family members had bought for him on Christmas and birthdays since he disappeared, hoping one day he'll see that they never forgot about him and had never let their worst fears get the best of them. Little Joshua's maternal grandmother hasn't minced words about her thoughts on the New Braunfels police investigation of her grandson's disappearance. Joshua Jr.'s parents have hidden nothing from law enforcement, she said, and she did not believe that the investigation is still active. Police act like they know matter-of-factly what happened, Joshua's grandmother told a reporter, but they've done nothing to prove their theory a theory police developed early on and seemingly never worked hard to develop any others. Before every meal with their father, little Joshua's siblings say a prayer asking for their brother to return. Three of them never even met him. Sabrina believes her son is still alive, out there in the world somewhere, and that someone who's afraid to come forward and do the right thing knows. No one in the family, not Sabrina, Joshua Sr., nor Joshua Jr.'s grandparents, feel that the boy is deceased. They all say they've just never felt it. If you have any information on the disappearance or the whereabouts of Joshua Davis Jr., please call Crime Stoppers at 800-640-8422. You can remain anonymous there and a reward of up to $4,000 is being offered for information leading to a resolution in the case. You can also contact the New Braunfels Police Department at 830-221-4100. You can support Gone Cold at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Donors at all levels there get the show ad-free and for just two and a half bucks a month, you'll have access to episodes featuring stories of mostly solved Texas crimes and the bad actors who perpetrated them. Episodes like The Slayer Saint and the latest, Dr. Dreadful, among others. Thanks to everyone who supports us there. We appreciate y'all's support beyond words. The Austin American Statesman, the San Antonio Express News, News for San Antonio, KSAT.com, and Fox7Austin.com were used as sources for this episode. Thanks for listening, y'all.